welcome to the Vineyard Boise Sunday Message Podcast. You can join us live on Sunday mornings at 10 a.m. on Facebook, YouTube, and vineyardboise.org slash live. Subscribe to our message podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and Google Podcasts. And if you'd like to support Vineyard Boise, you can give online at vineyardboise.org slash give. Today's message is brought to you by Pastor Trevor Estes. Enjoy. Well, this morning, um, we are embarking in week four of a six-week series. It's actually, we've called it 40 Days of Prayers. It's actually six weeks, which means it's actually 42 days. So we've been lying. Um, It's actually 42 days. But week four, so every one of these weeks has been a theme. So we'll put up this, our title slide here. And this title slide, it reflects the progression of our prayer. And so you start with the trunk of the tree. And all of, its, all of our prayer is rooted in Jesus through prayer. But, but the, the first week, the theme was bringing our personal lives before God in prayer for seven days. And then we moved to our home life, meaning our immediate relationships and our immediate surroundings. And then we moved to our church. Like, who are we as a church, this corner of God's pasture? And then this week, we're going to be in the city. We're going to be praying for our city. And, um, and so if you're joining us, maybe you're, the, you're just joining and you're, you're arriving in the middle of this series, that's okay because today is the first day of the city series. So it's a perfect time to jump in. Uh, there is a website that, um, that we're using throughout this. It's, it's vineyardboys.org slash 40 days. Uh, again, that QR code that we'll put up right here uh, will take you directly to that page. That page is a one-stop shop. Okay? For this series, it's a one-stop shop. And in fact, we're adding new resources to it uh, each week. In fact, there's a new resource that's going to drop there today. So even if you're already engaged in the series, you're going to want to bookmark that because there's a new resource we're, we're going to upload to there today. And especially for those of you who are joining online, um, we want to make sure that you have access to that. So, um, so but if you're, if you're new, let me just tell you the progression, kind of how this works, is every Sunday we talk about a passage that's the anchoring passage for, for that, uh, that particular week. And then we're going to pray that passage every day of the week. But then additionally, there's an additional passage each day of the week that's, that's thematic to the week. And so basically every day there's two passages connected to the theme. The one that, that is the banner over the week that we talk about on Sunday, and then an additional one. And so uh, on that page of the website, you can sign up to get the daily devotion. And you can get it by email, and that means it'll come to you every day somewhere around 5 in the morning or so. You'll get an email that, that has that week's daily devotion. Uh, when you get the written devotion by email, it just tells you to go to the daily prayer. It doesn't, it doesn't write it out for you, so you've you got to have your Bible with you or your app, and um, your Bible app. And, and so you can read that prayer, the passage, and then it'll walk you through the rest of it. Uh, but from that page, you can also sign up for the audio podcast. So maybe you engage better with, with listening to something. And so you can engage, you can find uh, the audio podcast and subscribe to that from that page. And you'll hear Pastor Mike reading the devotions to us each day of the week. Uh, and that will drop each day. Uh, or lastly, if you'd rather just have the whole thing at once, you can download the PDF from that page. So there you go. So as we, as we pivot from focusing on the church this last week, to now focusing on the city that our church campus is based in. Um, I thought we'd start today by doing something that's interactive that we can do together, both the online and the on-campus people. And that's that we're going to create an interactive word cloud together. So we're going to put up a, a poll here. And the poll, the question is, in what city were you born? Okay, what, 
it's kind of asking what's your home city, but specifically in which city were you born? And so you can go to vineyardboise.org slash vote to find the, to, to add your vote, or you can use that QR code. It'll take you directly there. And, uh, and you can do multiple entries from the same device. So if you're sitting with a, a family member or a friend, you don't have to load it up on everybody's phone. You can just do one and just do multiple entries. Only one entry per person, though, because you were only born in one city. Okay? No stacking the deck. And here's what we're going to do. As you do that and you do, as the online audience does that as well, uh, we're going to create uh, a word cloud here, and it's going to auto-populate with the cities of our, in fact, I'm going to do it too. You don't have to include the state, just the city. Is everybody doing it? And then when you, once you've done it, it'll say we've received your submission. Now, what you see over here is that the bigger the word is, the more submissions that that word has had. So clearly we've got some, some Boise natives. Nampa, Orange, San Diego, Pocatello has a lot. Nampa. All right. Thank you. That was fun. That was fun for me. We're going to circle back to that. Because here's the thing. Uh, throughout this week, beginning today... And I think six of the seven devotions that we're going to be in this week uh, are all going to be in the book of Nehemiah. And so if you're not familiar with Nehemiah, let me tell you a little bit about Nehemiah. Um, Nehemiah, uh, well, first of all, the year that, that this book is set in is the year 445 BC, as we begin. Uh, and Nehemiah, he lived in the city of Susa. Uh, which is, is in the capital city of, or it's, it's one of the capital cities of Persia, uh, which at the time was the world power. Okay, so, so Nehemiah lives in Susa of Persia, um, but it's not, the, it's the city, well, actually, I don't know if he was born there. It's the city he's living in at the time that he writes, but it's, it's not the city of his heart, it's the city where he lives. The city of his heart is actually Jerusalem, uh, which is a thousand miles away. Uh, it's a city that he's, he's never lived in. He wasn't born there. He's most likely, as far as we know, he's never even visited Jerusalem. It's a thousand miles away at a time. Again, it's 445 BC. It's not a time you could just hop on a plane and visit somewhere a thousand miles away. If you did it, it was on foot. So he's never been there, but it's where his heart is because it's the, the city of his people. Nehemiah, is a, he's a fourth generation exile, which means that his people were carried off into captivity um, by the Babylonians some 140 years previously. Okay, so he's now fourth-generation exile, living in a foreign land. His people, in the, in the context of war with Babylon, had been carried off. Um, and uh, 
That was under Babylon. Babylon was the world power at the time. At the time that the story picks up, though, Persia has become the world power. They had conquered Babylon, and they're now the world power. And they had allowed different exiles to return to their homes. So Babylon had a, a, a practice that when it would, it would uh, defeat a people, it would carry the, um, the wealthy, the nobles, the educated. It would carry those people off and replant them in other places. And it was a way of breaking down the... Um, just the cultural nationalism of different countries so that they didn't have the same national pride and they were relocated in a new place. Well, they did that for many peoples. And when Persia came in, they made a decree that people could go back home if they wanted to. So at the time that we pick up the story, um, Nehemiah has not gone back home. Others have. In fact, there was a wave of, of exiles who went back about 13 years previously to the time that the story picks up. And they'd gone back to Jerusalem, and Judah is the, the region that Jerusalem was set in. And they've gone back to rebuild. So as the, as the story picks up, some of them have come back to Persia. They've, they've circled back, and Nehemiah is going to hear a report. That's what the whole first chapter that we're going to be in every day this week is about him hearing a report from those exiles that have come back, and he gets to ask them how it's going in Jerusalem. So before we get there, here's a little bit about Nehemiah, the man, who he is. First of all, he is a displaced exile working in the Persian government on staff for King Artaxerxes, okay? He's working in the Persian government on staff for King Artaxerxes. He's the king's cupbearer, uh, a job that is only promoted to through earning the king's trust and demonstrating good judgment. So what does it mean that he's a cupbearer? It means he's the king's sommelier. If, you're, if you are in the, uh, in the wine industry, uh, he, he's the one that, that serves the, the king his wine. He's also the wine taster, which is a pretty good job, assuming the king has a good, you know, a good wine stash. Assuming nobody tries to kill the king. Because that's part of the job is to be the first one to taste it in case someone has poisoned the wine. He he's, takes one for the team. Okay, so that's his job. Uh, it's, it's a job of, the, as I said there in the notes, it's highly trusted because he's always in the king's presence. He's there and he hears all the conversations. And so he has to be somebody who's fairly trustworthy. And so this is a job that he's risen to over time. I want you to note though, this is really important as you read this text this week, and we're going to get to hear his prayers and let his prayers inform our prayers. He's not a, he's not a vocational minister. He's not a professional Christian. He's not a priest. He's not a pastor. He's not a prophet. He's not a worship pastor. He, he's a civil servant working in the government. He works, in, in fact, and it's a secular government. It's the Persian government. And yet, here's the thing. What we find is that his personal life, even though his job is what we might think of as a secular job, he spends a lot of time praying. He's, we, we could say he's a praying sommelier, which I actually think would be a good name for, for a band. Like the, the praying sommeliers, anything? Because he spent so much time on his knees, he was affected by what he heard when he hears a report. So uh, this week we're going to be hearing, we're going to be reading this, this same chapter each morning in our devotions. Um, and then we'll work through the, the remaining part of the story. And so as we get into different days of the week, Pastor Mike's going to introduce a different chapter in the story. And I want you to pay attention to the progression because there's a thread of prayer that weaves through the whole story. Even though it, it, it starts in prayer and then, and then kind of moves towards action as he begins to act on, on what's in his heart, 
but, but the prayer never stops. And so there's this, this kind of like this rhythm, this, this interaction where he spends time in praying and then he acts on what God leads him in prayer. It's very important that we recognize that. And it's not one or the other. He doesn't only pray and he doesn't just act. He prays and then he acts. We might call him a contemplative activist. It's not a contradiction. Contemplative activist. So, to pick up in chapter 1, verse 1, it says, These are the memoirs of Nehemiah, the son of Hekeliah. In late autumn, in the month of Kislev, in the 20th year of King Artaxerxes' reign, I was at the fortress of Susa, and Hanani, one of my brothers, came to visit me with some other men who had just arrived from Judah. Judah is the, the region that Jerusalem is placed in. Hanani, one of my brothers, came to visit me with some men who had just arrived from Judah. I asked them about the Jews who had returned from there from captivity and about how things were going in Jerusalem. Okay, so again, they're probably part of the, the wave that, that went back to Jerusalem some 13 years ago. Uh, I think that Nehemiah's expectation is that things are thriving in Jerusalem slash Judah. I think he's hopeful that the city is being rebuilt. It had been destroyed when, when Babylon came in and took them into captivity. Babylon just wiped out the city. They destroyed the temple. I mean, everything was just laid to waste. And so I think in his mind, you know, it's been 13 years. I wonder what they've accomplished. And he's, he's got high hopes that when he hears a report, it's going to be that the people are thriving, that God, they're experiencing God's blessing in every way. And the report that he hears from Hanani is actually just the opposite. In fact, it's incredibly discouraging. Let's listen to it. Verse 3, they said to me, things are not going well for those who return to the province of Judah. They are in great trouble and disgrace. The wall of Jerusalem has been torn down and the gates have been destroyed by fire. Okay, this is going to be a primary focus throughout the Nehemiah text is this focus on walls and gates. And when they talk about walls and gates in Nehemiah in the book, they're literally talking about walls and gates because that was really important for the welfare of a city. Okay, walls and gates, it, it, without a city without walls and without gates to come and go through and to be able to secure, a city without that was vulnerable to outside aggression, to thieves, to violence. You know, what happened when Babylon came in is they weren't able to protect themselves. So it, without walls and gates, they're vulnerable to the next Babylon. And so this is really important. Now, during this week, as Pastor Mike has written devotions for us, he's going to use the, the phrase walls and gates metaphorically, asking us, what are the walls that need to be built up in our city? What are, what are the gates that need to be restored? And to allow us to pray through that metaphorically. But it, come, it, sh it shows up in the text all over because the condition of the wall and the gates, that's a condition for the, it's, it's basically like a barometer. It's a barometer for the state of the city. Verse four, when I heard this, he hears the report. I sat down and wept. In fact, for days I mourned, fasted, and prayed to the God of heaven. We're gonna see as we, as we keep reading that this response of mourning, of, of grieving, of praying, of of allowing his heart to be wrecked by the report that he's just heard from his, his brothers. We don't know if that's really, Hanani might literally be his brother or it might be using it kind of like, you know, we're brothers and sisters. But that report that he hears, it wrecks him. 
And he allows it to, to motivate him to spend time, concerted time in prayer before God. This posture of grieving, fasting, and praying to God on behalf of the city that's a thousand miles away, he, he doesn't just do it in that immediate moment when he hears the report. It's, this is going to go on for somewhere between three to five months, depending on how the Persian calendar, we, we don't know exactly how the Persian calendar worked, but it's, it's at least three, maybe as much as five months that he just, he just went to prayer. Went, he's on his knees every day praying about this. So what we have in the, in the rest of chapter one is a summary, uh, basically kind of a, uh, an encapsulation of what types of things he was praying during that, that, those months. Here's what it, how it reads, verse five. Then I said, O Lord God of heaven, the great and awesome God who keeps his covenant of unfailing love with those who love him and obey his commands. Listen to my prayer. Look down and see me praying night and day for your people, Israel. I confess that we have sinned. I love that when he confesses, it's not just a they, but it's a we. He takes ownership in, in the condition of their people. He says, he says, I confess that we have sinned against you. Yes, even my own family and I have sinned. We've sinned terribly by not obeying the commands, the decrees, and the regulations that you gave us through your servant Moses. Please, remember what you told your servant Moses. You said, if you are faithful to me, I will scatter you among the nations. But if you return to me and obey my commands and live by them, then even if you are exiled to the ends of the earth, I will bring you back to the place I have chosen for my name to be honored. The people you rescued by your great power and your strong hand, they are your servants, O Lord. Please hear my prayer. Listen to the prayers of those of us who delight in honoring you. Please grant me success today by making the king favorable to me. Put it into his heart to be kind to me. Now, in those days, I was the king's cupbearer. Again, we're going to be hearing and reading that passage each day this week. And, and as we work through it, we find out what sort of actions this, these prayers ended up motivating, to, motivating Nehemiah to pursue. But I want you to realize that, that as he's praying and working for the welfare of his city, again, it's not the city of his birth. It's not even the city where he lives. It's the city of his heart. And it's, and it's in his heart because he recognizes that what God has done there over generations, that generations God has, has, has placed his people there and made promises associated to the land. So this week, we're going to be praying for our city. And that's, that, of course, that is the Treasure Valley in general. It's, you know, as we saw on the word cloud, uh, many of us were even born here. I'm a Boise native. My, my daughters are Boise natives. Um, we were born at St. Luke's downtown, just some 30 years apart. <laughs> but but we, we weren't all born here. But there are things that God has done here. And, and, and it's not just the Treasure Valley in general. I want to zero in on Garden City specifically. Garden City. If you don't know, if you're, if you're newer to the valley, you may not realize this. Garden City is, that's where we are right now. We're in Garden City. Garden City is a little pocket of Boise. We're, we're in the middle of Boise. Uh, Garden City is, it's, I think it's about four square miles. We have our own mayor, our own police force, our own government. Uh, we, are, we are a city and within the city. And as I grew up here, Garden City was not a a shining beacon 
of goodness. In fact, we lovingly, lovingly, referred to it as Garbage City. Uh, Garden City was predominantly, it was, it was basically Chinden Boulevard, and it was characterized by uh, strip clubs, by adult bookstores, by uh, hotels by the hour, uh, porn shops. I mean, it was, and, and bars. That was basically, that was the industry of Garden City. And, uh, and yet God placed us here. And, and we're going to talk about this in a moment, about God placing us as a church here, regardless of where we were born and regardless of, of which zip code we actually live in. This spiritual family belongs in Garden City. So, um, so I want to talk before we, we're going to talk basically about four points that we see here in this first chapter and just take you through the progression of that. So um, we're going to talk about seeking the welfare of the city. Nehemiah inquired about the urgent condition and the needs of the city. I want you to pay attention to this word welfare here, seeking the welfare of the city. That actually comes from a passage that we're going to be reading devotionally, I think, next week. It comes from Jeremiah uh, 29 where God told these same exiles that were sent to Babylon, God said, seek the welfare of Babylon. It's, it's not your home city. You've been ripped out of Jerusalem, and now you're, you're living in a foreign nation that doesn't know me, and I want you to seek the welfare of the city. For as long as you live there, I want you to, to be a blessing there. Now, the word welfare, it's not, you know, a lot of times when we hear the word welfare in our 21st century American culture, we tend to think of like government program, welfare, or departments, health and welfare. That's not what, what the, the, the biblical word welfare is, the biblical word shalom. And it is a, a, an all-encompassing word that, that has to do with peace, peace between people, peace from outside influence, peace with God. It has to do with prosperity and abundance, people having what they need. It has to do with, with joy and goodness and wholeness. And the people who were sent to Babylon in captivity, they were told to seek the welfare of Babylon. Well, now he has the opportunity, Nehemiah has the opportunity to seek the welfare of his home city, Jerusalem. And so he inquires about the current condition and needs of the city. Uh, Nehemiah got his report from Hanani, who had recently had boots on the ground in Jerusalem, and he could give him an accurate report of, that was a realistic assessment that maybe, you know, I, I, again, I think Nehemiah maybe had some some hopes that things were going really well there and was pretty disappointed to hear the report. So Hanani brings him a realistic report. Uh, in a few minutes, Rihanna Freeman is going to come and she's going to give us, she's, she's like our Hanani. You can call her Hanani from now on. Because she has boots on the ground in Garden City. She heads up a lot of our projects that are Garden City specific. And we have a lot of things at the church that we do to serve the city that are not, that are not just Garden City. You know, our, yesterday our food pantry and medical clinic were open. And Lee shared with me that, that we served 80 households yesterday at our food pantry. And those are as many as, as maybe six to seven people per household. Okay? So, so we've got a lot of things that, that are open for the whole valley, right? But there's some things that we do that we say, how do we, how do we serve Garden City? And Rihanna heads up a lot of those, and she interacts with a lot of the agencies that are here in Garden City. And she's been inquiring, okay, what, what's the current need? And some of the needs that she's going to share with us are things that we already know. I think intuitively, if you live around here, you can guess what the needs of Garden City are. And, and they're not that different from the rest of the valley. But she's been asking for specific information. So she's going to come in a minute and she's going to share that. But first, a couple of things. Uh, point number two, 
Nehemiah allowed his heart to be broken by the needs of the city, the report that he heard. And this is really important. And this is why I'm going here before we hear from Rihanna Hanani. I'm praying that our hearts will be broken, that as we spend this week, that starting today, but throughout the week, as we open our hearts in prayer to God for our city, that God softens our hearts that God breaks our hearts for the state of our city to the point that we're driven to prayer and, and whatever action God might lead each one of us to. I want you to realize that, that there's all kinds of excuses that Nehemiah could offer at this point. When he hears the report, he could, he could think, well, there's nothing I can do about it, right? He could let himself off the hook and, and not allow it to penetrate his heart. He could say, well, there's nothing I can do about it. He could say, well, it's not really my home city, I don't even live there. It's a thousand miles away. What can I do? He could say, you know, what can I do? I, I, I'm, I'm a servant to the king. I can't, I can't leave. I'm not independently wealthy. I mean, my boss is wealthy, but I'm not. There's all kinds of things that he could respond to, say, to let himself off the hook, but he doesn't. He goes in prayer, and, and even that last line of, of the chapter alludes to, his, to where he's going to go is he's going to ask the king for something. He goes to his employer. He opened his heart to caring for the city. Again, my hope is that we allow God to break our hearts for Garden City and that instead of excusing ourselves from caring or from being part of the solution, that we ask God to do in our hearts what he did in Nehemiah's heart. Drive us to prayer. Drive us to action. Point number three, Nehemiah turned his broken heart into ongoing prayer. Uh, Nehemiah's time in prayer included, I love this, he, if, you, if you listen to that, he reviewed what he knew about the land. Okay, the people, remember when he asked Hanani, he asked about the condition of the people and the place. And in his prayer, he reviewed, he went back, and here's what he's reviewing. He's reviewing Leviticus 26 and Deuteronomy 26. He wasn't just a, a praying sommelier. He was also a sommelier who was pretty good with his Bible. And he knew he'd read the promises that God had made about the land that Jerusalem was in, of Judah. And he said, God, remember you promised. You promised that, that you gave us, you gave my ancestors that place and that if we were unfaithful with it, you would scatter us and that when we were faithful to you, you would draw us back. Would you do that? As we pray for our city, I think it's important that we remember that God gave us this land. Again, as a spiritual family, we are planted in Garden City. And it's not an accident. It's actually by a miraculous provision of God. So I want to revisit the story of how we ended up with our campus here. Uh, some of you are familiar with this. Some of you may not be. Uh, let me just tell you about Vineyard Boise. We are a church plant that we were, we were planted in 1989 by a group of people who moved here from Lancaster, California. That's the desert Palmdale area of California. And so in 1989, uh, 12 families, about 50 people total, uprooted their lives in Lancaster. And this is before it was popular to move from California to Idaho. Okay, that's very trendy now. And, and we say yes to that. We have no issues with that. We would not have a church if people from California didn't move to Boise. Okay, so if you're from California, welcome. We love you. Ignore the bumper stickers, okay? 12 people, 50, 50, 12 families, households, 50 people moved here. They uprooted their lives. They didn't have jobs here. Most of them didn't have family or connections here. A lot of them liquidated their, their 
you know, retirement in order to move here without a job. But they, wanted, they believed that God had called them to start a church that would love people here. There would be a loving church that would love God and love people. And so, in fact, the banner over our church, and by banner I mean bumper stickers, that our church had in the early days, starting in 1989, it was a church that said, Vineyard, Vineyard Christian Fellowship, uh, come as you are, you'll be loved. It's just this promise. Regardless of the circumstances of your life, regardless of your belief system, regardless of your politics, come here, you'll be loved because that's, what, that's who God is. God loves you. That's why those people came. It was an act of faith. It was an act of radical trust and faith. So uh, in the early days, we rented out spaces. Uh, I actually joined the church. It was about six to eight months old when I joined it as a, a young college student. And um, we rented spaces. The early team met in a, a rented room in a business complex until they were ready to actually open the doors. And when we first opened the doors, it was at a church that's up here on Northview near Curtis. Uh, right in front of the park, right in front of Winstead Park, there's a little like classic-looking church there. Uh, currently, it's called Epworth Chapel on the Green. But that was our very first location. That's where we opened our doors. Uh, when we outgrew that, we moved to, the, um, to a vacated grocery store. Uh, before Winco was known as Winco, it was called Wearmart. And when Wearmart vacated their space on Overland to, to build the Winco that's on Fairview in Milwaukee, they vacated that space, and we moved into their old warehouse. We built some walls to make it a little bit smaller so it didn't feel so crazy. But we, we, were, we were in Wearmart. We called it Church Mart. Um, so just so you know, that's where the real theaters on Overland are now. If you go over to the real theaters, uh, Country Club Real, cheap theaters, that's, that, was, that was our church. I can't see our movies there. It freaks me out. Um, so that's where we met for the first few years. By 1991, we were growing, and we were looking for a permanent home where we could gather as a church, where we could disciple, where we could have programs and, and, and grow in Christ-likeness together, but also where we could serve. A play, we, we always had a vision to serve the city. We, we, we never did not have a food pantry. The medical clinic came later. But we, we, we wanted to have a place where we could serve. And so we had a guy in our church. His name was Ray Robnett. Ray and his family were part of the church at the beginning. Uh, Ray was in construction and real estate. And so he began looking for property for us. And he found this 22-acre parcel in Garden City. And he said, I think this might just be perfect for us. And, and so he, he went to our senior pastor. Our founding pastor is a guy named Tri, T-R-I, Pastor Tri. And he went to Tri and he said, um, I found this 22 acres in Garden City. The bank wants around a million dollars for it. And Tri was like, whoa. And he said, I think we should offer him 350000 Okay, million dollar property. He said, we should offer him three fifty. dollars So Tri's like, okay. So we offered him three fifty. dollars The bank laughed at us. And, um, and Tri was relieved by that because he's like, well, we didn't have $350,000. <laughs> but in the meantime, we found out that the groundwater on this property was contaminated with a dry cleaning solvent called PERC. There was a dry cleaner up the hill that it, probably not the one that's up there now, I'm sure. Although PERC is still a chemical that's being used. The EPA is trying to phase it out. But, but it had leached down the hill and it contaminated the groundwater. And so this property had groundwater that, that had to be cleaned up by the, a massive cleanup program through the EPA before it could be used. And so, um, so Ray went back to try, Ray's the builder. He went back to try and he said, you know that property that we offered 350000 for? And Tri said, yeah. And he said, I think we should make him another offer. I think we should counteroffer. And Tri said, okay. 
He said, how about if we offer him 150? And then try, I remember try saying like, wow, this doesn't quite make sense. You know, I'm, I'm not a real estate guy. I'm kind of a cowboy. But I get that if you offer 350 and they reject that, you don't go to 150. But we offered it. And here's the thing. The bank was motivated at that point, And it was nearing the end of the year. And the bank said, the, the bank countered with, you give us 175 plus you play the realer fees which was about 15,000, said, you can have it, but you have to have it off. You have to do it by the end of the year. We want it off our books. And so for $190,000, we could have it. So long story short, we took up an offering. People were generous. People gave. People sold things. People received money they weren't expecting, and they just passed it on to the church. And at the very last minute, we were able to have exactly what we needed to purchase the property. So 22 acres, contaminated with perk, <laughs> which means you can't use it until you pay for a massive cleanup and means the banks aren't going to loan money to build on it, which brings us to part two of the story, which we're going to watch on video. We had acquired the property, but, and Tri had asked us that uh, on a Wednesday, that following Wednesday, we were going to have a praise and worship time and he was he asked if anybody you know would pray and have God uh, kind of reveal to them um, you know anything that would be positive about this property and that and I knew that the perk contamination was there so uh, usually on my mornings I would do a devotion and this morning I can't tell you if it was like Monday morning Tuesday morning or what I just kind of threw caution aside and said you know Lord I'd I just don't feel like I'm supposed to do a devotion. I want to see if there's something that you'll uh, give me that I could say, you know, for the church. And uh, when I sat there and I just opened up my Bible and I went to Second Kings, um, Elisha's um, first duty after Elijah got take, swept up in the spirit, and it was about the uh, bad water and that in the in their town and all that. And my heart just kind of leapt and. You know, I said, oh, wow, I said, that sounds like our church. And he came to me and he said, you know, I just read this t this morning about how Elisha poured salt in the water and it purified the water. And uh, he said, I think the Lord told me that we're supposed to put water down these test holes and then call the EPA and have them tested. God would he heal the water. We went and talked to Try and Try kind of, well... <laughs> You know, maybe, you know, and well, you know, whatever, you know, I'm supposed to be like the pastor, the spiritual one. And I go, this, <laughs> this seems pretty wild to me. But, you know, uh, in those days, I was willing to try anything, you know. So we went down to Fred Meyer down the street here. And I remember we bought these containers of Morrison salt, those round box containers, you know, and, uh, and brought them back. And it was interesting. And I don't know who made the phone call. Uh, but in those days, like one phone call was like going on Facebook or something because all of a the sudden, there were all these people here uh, on the property. Um, like, I don't know, like dozens of people. And they wanted to walk around the property and pray over these test holes, these wells. And uh, so we said, okay. So we, we walked around and then we came up to this, this one test hole and we were like, trying to get the lid off of it and everything. And finally, it's like the Lord said, you know, you really don't have to get the lid off because, um, you know, this is all going to be a miracle anyway. So we just poured the salt over the over the over the well casing and prayed over it, and we all gathered around and prayed over it. And we went in and we called the EPA. They came down, test the water, and you know, um, and it it passed. It was pure. 
I mean, the property, remember now, the property initially was worth a million dollars. And we bought it for $170,000 because of this problem. So in that moment, this property took a leap from $170,000 to a million dollars. And because of it, we could go to the bank and actually get some help uh, that they wouldn't have given us before. And so that really was the beginning of the groundbreaking here at, uh, at, at the Boise Vineyard. We retell that story, and I, I never, I've watched that video over a hundred times. I never get tired of it because it reminds me that we're here not by human circumstance, not because of a clever builder or a clever real estate, you know, plot. Like, God placed us here, and it's for the sake of a city. And, and, and you know, Garden City is increasingly changing, and it's not the city it once was, but it's still the place where God placed us. And in a dark city, God called us to be light in the city, to reflect his image here and to be an extension of his love and his kingdom breaking forth from this campus into the lives of the city. So with that in mind, I want to circle back to Rihanna and to the report that, that, uh, that was given to uh, Nehemiah through Hanani. And Rihanna's going to come and she's going to share with us a little bit about what she's discovered about the current needs uh, here in Garden City. Would you guys welcome Hanani? I think you're on. Amen. Okay. So my father, who is Pastor Mike, said that I should actually come up here with ashes to pour on my head to display the full biblical grief. But I did leave my ashes at home today. So sorry about that. I will share with you um, four kind of big needs that are in the community right now that have been expressed through um, different organizations who we have partnerships with in the city. And probably one of the biggest needs that Garden City is facing right now is the need for affordable housing. Um, just all over the place, uh, we're seeing the poor of the city really, really struggling. Um, there have been situations where trailer parks have actually been sold and um, in their place they build housing units and apartments that are too expensive for the families. So. Some families who have been here their whole lives have had no choice but to, but to leave the city and to go out towards Caldwell or, or farther um, just to avoid being homeless. And in addition to that, they've seen a huge increase in just eviction notices and um, homelessness throughout the city. Um, one of the partnerships that we have in the community is called Jesse Tree, and they've been serving the Treasure Valley since 1999. And their goal is to prevent homelessness and evictions. They work with a lot of Garden City families. And um, well, what they've found, I mean, their hope is to educate the community, um, first of all, about the realities that these families are facing. But they also come alongside the families and support them, um, whether that be um, providing caseworkers, so they'll get connected to resources um, like budgeting resources and other resources that they may need um, or financial assistance. They help um, provide um, like security deposits and might provide some brief rental assistance. And they found that 
about 90% of people who need that financial assistance are um, in that need because of some unexpected life event. So it might be major hospital bills coming through, a sudden loss of job, or like their car broke down and they're no longer able to just stay on top of their bills. And um, they've been struggling to just stay on top of cases just because they, they keep coming in. They're trying to prioritize those ones who are in an emergency um, because once that eviction notices hits, they only have so much time. They have to work really, really quickly to, to be able to help these people. And they also work with landlords in the community. Um, they try to provide some mediation because they found that most landlords actually are willing to work with people if they see that steps are being taken to remedy the situation. And so that's their goal. One of the, the cool things is some landlords have actually um, reached out to them. Like they will refer tenants who they notice are struggling um, to them because they've seen such um, positive steps. But it is just something that they're struggling with. They're um, trying to get more people on board with um, early preventative measure, measures that that can take place because it's kind of an issue for all of us taking care of our neighbors. So that's that's a big one. Um, another need in the city is for eye care and um, optometrists. Um, we used to have a mobile clinic in Garden City, a mobile eye clinic that would provide free exams, um, free resources to like glasses and everything like that. But recently, Unfortunately, um, they, due to lack of funding and lack of providers who are willing to volunteer their services, they're unable to run the clinic now. And so um, the Genesis Medical Clinic, which is another one of our community partnerships, has been really looking for, for places where they can refer the people who come in and their families who come in. Um, another need would be a more after-school programs that are free or of low cost. Um, this is something that came up a lot um, while I was doing um, intake at, at our pantry over the last year. Um, families just sharing with me that they were having a, a hard time getting their kids into um, school programs like the Boys and Girls Club because of capacity limits. And I remember specifically the single mom who's working multiple jobs, and she just told me, I wish that I had somewhere like that I knew was safe and supervised for my kids until I could get off of work. And that was a sentiment that was shared by a, a lot of parents that would come through at the pantry. Um, and then another need, and this will be the last one I share today, is just that there's a need for more accessible legal advice in the community. Because um, studies have found that um, anywhere from 80% of low-income families cannot afford any sort of legal advice. And because of this, there, it, it kind of creates this justice gap. And so they can, just because they don't understand the complexities of the le legal system, they can lose houses, kids, jobs. And um, it's been a real problem. We do have some of those resources available to community members, um, but the, the challenge is that with tight work, work schedules, it's not always accessible to the members. So those are kind of the really big areas that, that need some prayer in our city, and I will hand things back over to Trevor.
Thanks for having me. You know, some, there's some needs that we're, I'm sure we're all aware of. Uh, I appreciate a Rihanna networking to find out what are some of the current needs. And there's some things that you're going to be hearing from in the near future, but I'm going to ask you to just pray into those things. We don't have solutions for all those things. We do have some partnerships. We partner with Giraffe Laugh, for example, that provides after-school programs during the summer, and we provide campus for that. Um, there's other things that, that we do, and, and one of the things that Rihanna was sharing with me is she'd like to see that organization, Jesse Tree, that works as an advocate to help people stay in their homes or to, to, to work as a liaison between uh, landlords and renters. Um, she wants to, to, to bring them in to do a training where um, we can find out more how we can come alongside and be advocates. So um, there's just some things to pray into. So there's not a, a concrete direction for all those things, uh, we're just letting you know about the need and saying, God, would you break our hearts for these things and, and allow, and, and then lead us as we pray. Would you show each one of us what, we, what our part might be? We, we can't all do everything, but each one of us can do what God leads us to do. And so um, that's, that's the ask. So um, lastly, last point is this. Nehemiah's prayer for, city, for his city then translated into actions. Uh, after hearing about the conditions of his city, Nehemiah began by praying. And then he, as he prayed, God began to work in Nehemiah's heart to unfold a plan for what he could do. And so that, again, that's my heart is that we, as we spend time in prayer, that God will unfold uh, a plan that will root into the fact that God has placed us. You, you may be brand new to this church. You, this may be your first day. But there are generations who've come before who have received promises from God, who, who recognize that God placed us here and that each one of us has a part in that. This, is, this spiritual family has a campus here in Garden City that is for the sake of the city. So to that end, um, we're going to close today with, with a couple things. One, we are going to just pray and invite God to, to touch our hearts, um, to soften. Uh, you know, when we produced this video, it was because at a time, I had forgotten about that story, and I had drifted from that story, and my heart towards Garden City had actually grown really hard. And God used this story to break my heart again and to remind me that he placed us here for the sake of the city. And, and, uh, and so it's, personally, it's very, it's very significant for me. Um, so we're going to spend just a, a moment just praying, saying, God, as we, as we together as a church, as we spend time in prayer this week, would you open our hearts and give us vision and stir us for the things that you want us to be about? So that's how we're going to close. I'm going to give you two tools as we leave, though. We created a couple pieces. First of all, uh, if you're on campus, whenever you leave, when you go through either set of the doors of the, on the, the room, in the, just on the other side of the doors, there's, there's a metal cart, and it has a basket with these invite cards on it. Uh, Pastor Brent introduced these a couple months ago, and he said they're, they're six packs which means there's a little pack with six invites in it. And, um, and they're just little invite cards to, to the church. As you're out and about, you can invite somebody to, to come to church. Um, we've added to those this week and moving forward. And so there's now a second card in there that's a colored card. So now there's seven packs, which is kind of like a baker's six-pack, but different. Um, so they're colorful. The colorful one, it's different than an invitation card. It's actually uh, an engagement card. So on one side, it just has a map to our campus and it has this little graphic that says N4GC, which means in Garden City, for Garden City. That's what it means. On the other side, this is what it says though. 
On the inner side, it says, Vineyard Boise is a church that's in Garden City for Garden City. We love the city and want to see its people thrive in every way. If we can pray for you or help you in some way, please let us know. So this is a tool for you that as you engage in the city, you can say, hey, I'm a part of a church that really cares about this city. And is there anything that I can do for you? It gives you a chance to pray for a business owner that you're interacting with. Maybe you, we're, we're encouraging you to use uh, Garden City vendors for your mechanics, for uh, home repairs. That, you know, just as you're doing things, and if you're hiring somebody as a contractor, consider Garden City before you, before you choose somebody else. And as you interact with them, say, hey, I chose you because you're in Garden City, and I go to a church that, that we love Garden City, and we want to see we, we're seeking the welfare of Garden City. You don't have to use churchy language, but let them know. So it, it's just a tool to help you connect with people. Um, you can use it in restaurants. And so the other tool that we're going to give you as you leave today, so as you leave today, we'll have people at the doors that are offering you both of these. The other thing we're going to offer you is a bookmark. It's a bookmark you can keep in your car, stick it in your visor, stick it in the ashtray. It's a bookmark that lists Garden City restaurants. Okay? So these are not, these are not all of the chain restaurants. You're not going to see McDonald's or Chipotle on here. It's, it's Garden City. It's locally owned restaurants. And, and this is, we, we did this as kind of a happy accident. Uh, a couple months ago, we were talking Sunday morning, and somebody said something about pizza. And I just mentioned, oh, you know, there's a great Garden City pizza place. It's New York Richie's. And after church, I got a text that like at least four families had gone to New York Richie's for lunch that day because we talked about it at church. And I thought, what if we were more deliberate about that? What if we gave people a list and said, look, if you're going out, don't, don't spend money you don't have, but if you're going out to eat anyway, choose a Garden City restaurant. And when you get there, engage with them in a way that's loving. Okay, loving means being attentive to your server, like treating them like a person, not just a transactional, you know, give me my food. It means tipping well, at least 20%. If you don't tip at least 20%, don't say you're from the vineyard. <laughs> my, daughter, my daughter and Tri's granddaughter both work at the same coffee shop together. And they say, sometimes, sometimes vineyard people come in and they don't tip. And I wonder if they would tip if they knew who we were. <laughs> if you're, you're going to identify that you're part of a church that's in Garden City, for Garden City, tip them. And then, like, you know, go on Yelp and leave a good review. Look for something that's affirmative that you can affirm on Yelp or, or one of the other, you know, networks. And this is how we just serve the city. We're, but more than anything, I think to say, hey, you know, sometimes, I don't do this all the time, but sometimes I'll ask my waitress or wait staff, well, they, they usually introduce themselves at the beginning of the meal, and I make a note what's their name. And then at some point, sometimes I'll ask them, hey, we're about to pray over our meal. Is there anything we can pray for you about? I don't do it all the time. Sometimes that would be weird. Sometimes it's like, it's the right thing to do to step out. So these are just two tools to help you be in Garden City, for Garden City. Uh, let's pray. Uh, if you're online, if you're joining online, the, the cards, we didn't put a PDF of the cards online, but we did put a PDF of, of the bookmark online. So you can, you know, save that and put it in your phone or print it yourself. And, or you can also come on campus and get them. Okay. Would you stand and, and let's close in prayer? Uh, as we do this, we do have some words for prayer today. We're going to put up on the screen. These are things that our prayer team sensed that um, they just were praying over our morning, sensed that there's a couple of things specifically that God wanted to call out. 
And so if you see yourself in that list, uh, we're going to have prayer team people, ministry team people, underneath the screens on both sides here after as we close. And just invite you, if you need prayer today, um, we are here for the city. We're also here for each other. And so if you need prayer today, um, we have people, ministry team, that would love to pray with you. So living God, as we root into the story of our ancestors, that, that you sovereignly and miraculously placed us, that you placed this spiritual family in Garden City, and that you did it because you wanted us to be a light in the city, to extend your love to people, to carry your image faithfully. God, we can't do that apart from your empowering Holy Spirit. Whether that's praying for somebody, whether that's acting in generosity, whether that's acting in justice, whether it's acting in mercy, Lord, that is a work of your Spirit in our hearts. And so like Nehemiah, as we pray this week, would you break our hearts for the city? What you did before, would you do it again? Would you open our eyes to opportunities? Would you remind us to, to choose Garden City and then to seek the welfare of the city? God, would you show us all the, the various ways that that can look and help us to carry your image faithfully and powerfully? I pray you would empower every person, those gathered online, those gathered here on campus, would you empower us by your indwelling Holy Spirit? shape our hearts, shape our actions. As we pray, would you lead us to action? May we be a people who are on our knees and on our feet and back to our knees again. And God, would you do what only you can do? Would you establish us as a blessing for the sake of our city? We ask this for your glory. We ask this for our joy. And we ask this for the sake of our city. Amen. Amen. Uh, we'll have people by the door with baskets if you would like a set of cards or a bookmark. And if you would like prayer this morning, come to either side of the, of the uh, screens here and we'd be glad to pray with you. Now go make the invisible God visible. Thanks for listening. To respond or receive prayer after the live stream closes, please email prayer at vineyardboise.org. And if possible, include your phone number. We'd love to get in touch with you. Thanks.